everybody. It's Ellen Weatherford. I'm here with just the zoo of us. This is your favorite animal review podcast. And this week, I'm really, really hyped because I get to talk to one of my favorite people. This is Jada Elcock. Say hi, Jada. Hi, everyone. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> I'm so excited, too, because I'm a huge fan. So I've been following you for a hot minute and you consistently produce top shelf animal shark content on the daily. So Jada, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit for listeners who might be new to you? Sure. Hi, my name is Jada. I am a shark scientist of sorts. I'm currently doing a PhD at the MIT Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution joint program. I will be starting in the fall. I'm very excited. And I do a lot of science communication on TikTok and Twitter and Instagram and all that stuff. If you're looking to follow me, it's at sophistication and Instagram, <laughs> just add an underscore at the end. I got to say, we love a good pun here. Thank you. <laughs> Not typically good at puns, so I'm really proud of that one. <laughs> Absolutely nailed it. Thank you. Um, but yeah, I kind of got into sharks maybe later than most people expect. I know so many kids start getting like super obsessed with sharks from early childhood. Fun fact, I was afraid of sharks as a child. Um, Who isn't? Who right. among us? <laughs> <laughs> I lived in the middle of the desert for... 12 years. And so I never really had access to like the ocean, obviously. And I think it was just the fact that I didn't know much about it. I was like a little bit afraid of it, but I wanted to learn more. So then I watched a lot of like documentaries and shows on like Animal Planet, Discovery Channel, Nat Geo and all that kind of stuff. And then like the more I learned about the ocean, the more I was like, oh my God, these animals are amazing. And then the more I learned about sharks, the more questions I had. And then I was like, is this, do I, do I need to just go figure out the answers to these questions? So now that's kind of what I'm doing. I'm out here looking to find some answers to some questions that we have about sharks that no one knows the answer to yet. So that's kind of where I'm at. <laughs> I love that. And I like the idea of like, yes, a lot of times, especially people who work with animals or work in animal sciences in some way, like have that sort of background story of like, yeah, I always loved this. This was always what I was going to do. But I also like the idea that like, it's never too late for you to get into it. You know, like it, it doesn't have to be your life. You, you can jump in now as a full grown adult. <laughs> oh, absolutely. You can. I mean, I always knew that I wanted to work with animals, but I wasn't exactly sure what animal or how I was going to do it. And then that just kind of developed later on. But like, as a kid, I was like, I want to be a vet because like every kid wants to be a vet. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what the people always tell kids who like animals, right? Like yeah. when kids like animals, they're like, you should be a vet. Yeah, but then like that, I feel like I wanted to be a vet until I realized that like I would have to put animals down. And I was like, I can't mm -hmm. handle that. Especially if I were like, just like a family vet, like with dogs and cats and rabbits and stuff. I'm like, I would have to put someone's pet down when they get old. I'm like, I can't, there's no way I could handle that because I would be sobbing with the family and then have to be like, okay, let me give your dog a checkup to the next patient. I'm like, I can't, I right. can't handle that. So I was That's like, mm, I'm going to do research instead. That seems fun. <laughs> Right. And I think for a lot of people, like they would look at between like, okay, having to have a very difficult conversation and like being there with a family through a very difficult time, or go out on a boat and like handle live sharks. For a lot of people, the live sharks would probably be the scarier one of the two. <laughs> yeah. See, the, it's funny, because before you said that, I thought you were going to say the live shark seems way more exciting. But like... <laughs> 
maybe that's to, just to you and I. Maybe yes. like that seems like yeah. naturally that's an extremely exciting thing. But I think maybe to a person who is not already like involved in the passion, I guess, of sharks, probably probably think yes, I would rather handle the sad day with a cat over you know reaching into the water and grabbing a shark yeah i can see yeah that sounds about right like most people would probably go with being a family vet rather than a shark scientist maybe i don't know but i am so happy with my career choice because i'm having a great time <laughs> yeah what is what is like a day in the life of a shark scientist look like what does work look like for you are you like spending a lot of time out in the field with the sharks or a lot of time like in a lab like what does it look like a bit of both so i feel like a lot of people are just like yeah shark science is just you're out on the boat all the time because like that's what people see on shark week but the part that you don't see is like that's like maybe like 10 20 of the job is you're out in the field and you're you know tagging sharks collecting data observations all that good stuff and it's super fun depending on like what shark you're studying and like what about the shark if you're studying ecology, like what about the shark? So for me, it would probably, and like a lot of shark scientists is probably like summertime is like peak field season or like summer going into fall, something like that. But then a lot of the time, what you don't see is all of like analyzing that data because you have the data, but you can't just look at it and be like, I know all of what happened. You have to like mm -hmm. go through it and dig through it and be like, okay, so this shark migrated to Brazil what did it do along the way like do what what else can we see where did it stop was it using oceanographic features like fronts and eddies and currents to its advantage is it feeding during migration we don't know is it wh where is it going to mate like all these we have to like dig through all the data we have to find the answers to these questions so it's like a puzzle honestly like you go and get the pieces to the puzzle and that's your field work and then you have to piece the puzzle together. That's not to say that that's not also fun. I mean, I don't love coding, let's be honest. <laughs> but when you code something and like your code runs and you find something cool, you're like, I am invincible. <laughs> I'm so amazing. I made this happen. And it's so exciting. So like, I do enjoy both sides of it, for sure. Um, mm -hmm. But it, there is a lot of like, desk work, or I guess computer work involved with the work that I do. But then there's people that do like, biomechanics or they look at shark skin or like like swimming biomechanics and physiology and stuff like that and there's definitely like different types of like field work or lab work involved with that kind of stuff but since i study mainly movement ecology and habitat use that kind of thing like you know when you look at a stranger on the street and you're like what is your life like are you going to the store? Do you have kids to take care of? Do you like really have to go to the bathroom? Maybe that's not something that I, that's not something I typically think about that just popped into my head right now. Weird question. Anyway, that's the kind of stuff that I'm curious about with sharks is like, how are you using different features to your advantage? Where are you going when you migrate? Why are you going into such deep waters every once in a while? That's going to involve like a lot of field work. And then after the field work, a lot of like desk work and analyzing data, which I also think is fun. But yeah, there's a lot more to it than I think people realize. Yeah, definitely. When you say movement ecology, what do you mean by that? So I know you had Jasmine Graham on here. Yeah. And she looks at movement ecology in terms of like trying to find critical habitat for certain species. So like, where are they mating? Where are they feeding? Things like that. Are they migrating? If so, where are they migrating? 
I'm looking at more like fine scale stuff and I'm trying to figure out like, how are you moving throughout your immediate environment? How are you preparing for migration? Maybe that's a good question to ask. Or how do you feel after migration? What are you doing during migration? Like specifically what is happening to you right now at this point in time? Like how are you using your immediate vicinity to your advantage rather than where are you gonna go and why are you, why is that place so important? I'm more focused on like, what is the animal doing and why is it doing it and why is that beneficial? It seems to me like maybe you're doing a lot of focusing on like the individual animal. Is that right? Yes, kind of. I have like some questions, well like, I guess this could be applied to like broader scale movement ecology as well. But like looking at the individuals and like multiple individuals to then see how that relates to like the population. You know what I mean? So I'm like, if we see multiple individuals diving down in like these warm spots in the middle of the ocean, what is that for? Maybe they're using it to access like... Uh, Twilight Zone prey items that we are not seeing towards the surface. Maybe that's something that they're doing because there's some literature on that and it's really cool of like, maybe they're using these warm core eddies, like little basically like circular currents, I guess. They have like a warm core. They're like, oh, well maybe these cold-blooded sharks are using that to dive deeper to access prey items. That's really cool. I'm interested in that kind of stuff of like, how are you using this? What is this? What is this doing for you? How are you going about your life? Whereas some people are like, I want to know where you're migrating and why, which is like very similar, but like different. Kind of zoomed out a little bit. Yeah, I feel like it's zoomed out a little bit more. That's really cool. I bet you see some really interesting stuff. Yeah. And it's funny because I feel like a lot of people are like, ah, scientific papers. And like, sometimes, yeah, you're like, okay, this is a super dense paper. It's hard to read. But like, I'll read papers on some of the things that like I'm interested in or that I'll use as like one of my citations in like a proposal or something that I'm writing. And I'm like, this is so interesting. Oh my gosh, am I going to try and find things like this? Like, that would be so cool. So I, I feel like reading them and like thinking of all the possibilities and all the questions that I have and all the things that we don't know yet, I just get so excited. And I'm like, the possibilities are endless. The sky is the limit. <laughs> And I just get, oh, I I get so giddy about it. (laughs) They're hiding so many secrets down there. Secrets? (laughs) Ah, ah, yeah, there you go. The the day is young and we're already two for two on great puns. Yeah. (laughs) It's going to be a wild ride. Again, I'm not great at puns, so we'll see if I can come up with some more. They don't have to be good. (laughs) They just have to be puns. Yeah, they don't have to be good. They're all by default grown worthy right like you're gonna yes. it's gonna be the same response whether it's really good or really bad yeah actually just a little side note you can include this if you want to or not i don't <laughs> care i said this joke to my brother and he punched me for it and i don't blame him it's um hey ernie you want some ice cream sure bert because oh like sure <laughs> it's so good <laughs> It's so bad. I love it so much, though. That's one of those things, like, I would tell that joke to my kid, and he would have no idea what I was talking about, and then I'd have to explain the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad that I didn't have to do that, but I did. I said it out loud, and both of my brothers were like, I hate that, and I'm angry at you about this. I'm like... Delete what you said. Yeah. I'm like, I kind of wish that I could, but also the reaction was priceless, so this is great. <laughs> Sometimes it's worth it. Exactly. I'm like, you know what? I'll take a slug to the arm. Every healthy relationship requires one person that tells really bad puns and the other person to pretend that they hate the puns, even though they really like them. It depends on 
who I'm hanging out with, I could be either person in that situation. (laughs) You have to be flexible in your role. Exactly. (laughs) So today we're talking about, obviously we're talking about sharks and we're going to zoom in on a particular shark that you really like and I really like. And so I'm hoping to get some deeper understanding of this shark. This is the thresher shark. Ah, I love that thresher shark. (laughs) I'm so excited because this is a really cool shark. I don't know that much about it. So I'm excited to learn from you. Can you introduce us a little bit to the thresher shark? What is this? Is it a big guy? Is it a little guy? Like what? what's a thresher shark? A thresher shark is a big guy and they are typically pelagic. So like open ocean, open water species. Um, there are actually, fun fact, three different species of thresher sharks. There's the common thresher, the big eye thresher, and the pelagic thresher, which seems a little misleading considering they're all kind of pelagic in nature. Extra pelagic. Extra pelagic thresher shark. <laughs> and they're really cool. They they do get to be very big. They can get to be around like 20 feet long. And their tail typically makes up about half of that body length, which is wild. And I love the way that it looks. The way it swims, it just like, it's like a little ribbon just tailing behind it. It's gorgeous. It's so long. And it's mostly like the top part of the tail. Yeah, it's the top lobe. It looks like if you took like the Nike swoosh and you kind of like rotated it like 90 degrees. You know what I mean? That's a really good analogy. Wow. (laughs) No, I I love that. it It does. Yeah. Most sharks have like a top lobe and a bottom lobe on their tail. It's like forked. The nurse shark is like very hard to find the fork because it's like mostly upper lobe. The lower lobe is like very small. But anyway. It's an afterthought. (laughs) Exactly. They're like, yeah, yeah, sure. Add a lower lobe. Slap it on there. (laughs) But um, the thresher shark has this gigantic upper part of its caudal fin, its tail fin, and it uses it for hunting. So it's a shark that hunts with its butt And if that isn't awesome, I don't know what is. So basically, there's a giant bait ball, just like a big old swarm school little ball of fish. And they will swim at it at like full speed and then stop on a dime and use their tail as like a whip. And they whip just like the general area in the bait ball. And whatever is no longer moving, whether they've stunned it or killed it or whatever, they just go through and collect whatever's not moving. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's such a smart idea. I just, I'm so curious about evolution as well. Like you see a weird animal. I'm like, why do you look like that? How did the thresher shark get to be from like, just looking like a shark to having a whip on its butt? How did that happen? I'm just like, I want to know the progression. I need to read into this. It's they're so cool. Like, how did they decide that that was the thing that they really wanted to, like, invest all of their evolutionary points into? They're like, nope, it's all going to the tail. All of it. Yeah. And it's so it's so odd to me. I'm like, there aren't really other sharks that do that. Like, what? there are other sharks that have, like, long tails, too. But, like, none of them use it as, like, a whip. It makes no sense to me that they're like, you know what we're going to start doing? Whipping things with my tail. <laughs> That makes sense because I can only swim forward. So let's, yeah, use the back end of me to hunt. How did that? I just don't. (laughs) Yeah. I'm interested that you said that, that they can only move forward. Is this like a common shark trait? It's the way that like the water needs to go over their gills. I'm pretty sure is like it needs to go over their gills forwards. Otherwise backwards, they're not going to get any oxygen from it. I feel like I've always heard this thing that like sharks can never stop moving. That's only true for some sharks. That's not true for all sharks. So for example, I mentioned the nurse shark earlier. So there's like benthic or bottom dwelling sharks, like the nurse shark, the zebra shark, cat sharks, the wabagong, all kinds of stuff like that. 
they sit on the bottom. So what they do is called buccal pumping, where they pull water in their mouth and then over their gills and they can breathe that way. However, the thresher shark is what we call an obligate ram ventilator, which basically means it has to keep swimming in order to breathe. Um, and if it stops swimming, it won't be able to breathe because it's not getting water over its gills because it doesn't have it doesn't have the ability to buccal pump and just pull water over its gills. So, yeah, some sharks, I feel like most of the sharks that you think of like a great white or a mako or a bull shark, a tiger shark, threshers, those are all obligate ram ventilators. The pointy ones. <laughs> the pointy sharks, exactly. <laughs> and then the ones that you would see probably just like kind of chilling on the bottom more often, those are your buccal pumpers and they can they can stop moving and just like rest on the bottom. And it's especially important for things like the wabagong because they're ambush hunters, so they have to sit still in order to wait for prey to come to them. So. There's over 500 different species of sharks. They fill so many different niches or niches, however you want to say that, <laughs> within the ocean. So they've evolved so many different things. And like every time someone asks me a question, they're like, so do sharks give live birth or do sharks have to keep swimming in order to breathe? Nine times out of 10, the answer is depends on the species. <laughs> <laughs> some of them do, some of them don't. Exactly. You know, they, they've got a lot going on in the shark department. <laughs> yeah, they really do. They've kind of covered it all. So if this is your first time listening to this particular podcast, what we do is we review animals by rating them out of 10 in three different categories. The first of those categories is effectiveness, which I have high hopes for the thresher shark for effectiveness. This is physical adaptations. So things that are built into the body of the animal to let it do a good job of the things it's trying to do, such as catching their prey, eating their prey, not becoming prey, things like that. What do you give the thresher shark out of 10 for effectiveness? I'm going to go ahead and give them a solid 10. I feel like, honestly, it would be hard for me to give any animal less than a 10 because, like, they've evolved over millions of years to do exactly what they're doing today, especially with sharks, because if you didn't know, sharks are older than the dinosaurs and sharks are older than trees. They evolved over 400 million years ago, and so they've been continuously evolving into different species to fill these different niches for so long, and, like, like we said before, like you see this animal and you ask, why do you look the way that you look and how did you evolve to fulfill this very specific purpose in the ocean? Any animal that makes you think that, I feel like you kind of have to give it a 10 out of 10 because it's so odd. It's evolved so specifically for what it does. And the thresher shark, I mean, it's got this awesome tail that it uses for hunting, which is super cool. And also their mackerel sharks, which is the order of sharks that's like the great white, the mako salmon, poor beagle, thresher, stuff like that. And mackerel sharks are at least regionally endothermic. So I believe the thresher sharks can like keep their eyeballs and their brains warm, basically to keep them, I guess, like firing on all cylinders to make sure that their eyesight is good and that like everything is working properly to be able to hunt in the open ocean. Oh, okay. So they, they don't have to worry about like getting too cold, I guess. Considering it's like regional endothermy and it's just like in their head, they kind of do like the rest of their body does. So like, for example, the the salmon shark lives out in Alaska and it hunts like salmon, obviously, and like squid and things like that. So it has to be super fast to catch its prey. It can warm its entire body to like 61 degrees Fahrenheit above water temperatures. Wow. So it's different for different like mackerel sharks, but mackerel sharks are at least partially a little bit, depending on the species, <laughs> endothermic, which is really cool. Dip their toe into it. Exactly. A Just a sample. Dip the tail in. Yeah. <laughs> um, so 
that's got to add to the effectiveness score. Yeah. So five points for an awesome tail, <laughs> five points for regional endothermy. That's really cool. Is a thresher shark like super fast? I feel like I look at them and I think like this boy's built for speed. They look like that at least because maybe it's just because of the long tail. They are fast. I don't know how fast. Honestly, I'm going to look it up really fast. Uh, Sharksider.com says bursts of speed up to 30 miles per hour, which I would find that believable. The mako shark is the fastest and it can have bursts of speed up to 45 miles per hour. So I feel like 30 sounds about right for another large pelagic shark. Um, Because like in the pelagic, you have to be fast because there's very limited resources for you. So if you see a resource, you need to be able to take advantage of it immediately. So plus that's a lot of distance to cover. <laughs> right. Yeah. There's there's a lot there's a lot out there. It's a very big distance. You got to be able to cover it quickly. So yeah. yeah. And this is a big boy. So like it's a hefty shark. Like it's, you got to get some oomph to get it going that fast too. Oh, yeah. so that's pretty impressive. They can indeed launch themselves completely out of the water. <gasps> Does that hurt? I I mean probably but like I <laughs> I guess I, I mean like does it injure the animal like that's oh, no. like oh my gosh <laughs> No so there's actually a video recently of a thresher shark jumping out of the water and it's it's high above the water like mm-hmm. I don't know 10 feet from the bottom of its but it's up there um and it's it, they think it was trying to get a cookie cutter shark off of it cuz it had latched on to like underneath oh. its pec fin and it was trying to like basically get rid of this little parasitic shark that's like trying to take a chunk out of it and he was like i'm gonna slam back down get off of me stop trying to eat my flesh oh my gosh that's an inter-shark conflict yeah (laughs) yeah do sharks have to worry about other sharks often like are they kind of eyeballing each other like you over there i see you you're a shark i'm also a shark i get what you're about so let me say again depends on the species Some sharks eat other sharks and sharks have so many senses to like figure out like predator prey. Like how do I either attack this thing or get away from this thing? One of those things is hearing, but like the sharks that hunt other sharks are. So sharks have skin made out of basically modified teeth called dermal denticles. It makes them incredibly streamlined so that like they're the most like efficient swimmers out there. We've actually had like swimsuits designed after them, which is really cool, but Basically, it's so streamlined that if a shark is coming up on another shark, the shark that's being hunted can't hear the other shark coming. Because usually, like, swimming will make sound. They can't hear it because they're just so streamlined. So they have no idea what's going on unless they turn around and see it or maybe, like, sense its electrical field with uh, its electroreceptors. So I guess, yeah, some sharks do have to worry about other sharks trying to eat them. And then other sharks have to worry about sharks realizing that they're trying to eat them. Mm-hmm. If that made sense. <laughs> A complementary set of problems. <laughs> yes. Either predator avoidance or prey capture within the shark community. <laughs> when you were describing like the shark being so streamlined in the water that the other shark couldn't hear it. I was thinking about if you've ever been walking like on a sidewalk or something and you didn't notice that like a Prius was driving behind you. Yeah. <laughs> That kind of thing. That's, yep, sharks are Priuses of the ocean. (laughs) Very spicy Priuses. Spicy Prius. Pointy, sharp Prius. Sharp Prius. (laughs) (laughs) The most environmentally friendly. (laughs) There you go, see? It's the eco-friendly, you reduce your carbon footprint, just ride a shark to work. That's all you gotta do. Yeah, no, please don't ride a shark. (laughs) 
<laughs> You're so right. I should <laughs> Yeah, let's just like put it to rest. Stop don't touch sharks. They're wildlife. Would you just go up to a wolf or like a coyote and be like, oh so cute, let me pet. No, bad idea. Admire the wildlife from afar. They're still wild animals. They need their space. Respect them. Give them their space. Don't touch them. The only time I've ever touched a shark is for research purposes, like trying to tag it. Or when I was an intern at an aquarium, getting it basically acclimated to uh, human interaction so that it makes like medical checkups and things like that easier. That is the only time I will ever touch a shark. Or unless they just like swam up to me and like bumped me and I'm like, mm-hmm. I will sit here and put my hands down and wait for you to pass me. But like, I'm not just going to be like, oh, so pretty. Let me stroke your back and like ride on your fin. Very bad idea. Please don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. That is rude, honestly. Yeah. It's- I watched this video recently of it was like a couple of it looked like a couple of women swimming. This was like drone footage. This was from like up above them. You could see them swimming on the beach and you could see that directly underneath them was a massive hammerhead shark. Oh, I saw this. Did you see this video? Ah, yeah. And it's swimming. It's like weaving between them almost and like swimming underneath them and stuff. And they don't see that the shark is there. It, they, they're just carrying on about their business, right? They're like floating on the water and like, da, 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 you know, just having fun. And this this hammerhead shark, it's huge, is like swimming right next to them. And I, I looked at the comments on the video and all the comments were like, wow, they have no idea how much danger they were in. And like, they were so close to being attacked and killed by the shark. And I was like, that's not what hammerheads do. <laughs> no, that's like, the, that's like the thing. I've seen, I've been tagged in so many videos on like TikTok and stuff of something like that. Or there was one of like this hammerhead looked like it was swimming really fast at a person, but you can see the fish that it was going after swim away. And it was like the fish was right next to the guy, but then like the shark just quickly turned around because he was like, well, this person's in my way. The thing is, (laughs) as much as I want sharks to care about me, they don't. They don't Mm -hmm. care about humans. They don't really know what we are. They're just like, you're not part of my diet. Why are you here? Go away from me. And if you don't go away from them, they will go away from you. And also, like, in these videos, the water is so clear. And, like, there are sharks that hunt in, like, murky water because, like, their prey just exists in murky water. And that is a time where you are at higher risk of getting bitten because they can't see you very well. But in these waters, like, people are just out there on the beach. The water is so clear. I'm like, that shark can see you well enough to know that you are not a prey item. It wants nothing to do with you. It doesn't care. It's just, that's the other thing is people are like, they have no idea how much danger they're in. I'm like, if that shark wanted to bite that person, it would have done so. And it didn't because it didn't care and it didn't want to bite them. And they were coexisting in the same space for a few minutes. Nothing bad happened. You're more likely to get bit by a human in New York than you are to get bit by a shark in the ocean. Or you're more likely to get killed by a vending machine than you are to be killed by a shark. So I'm like... (laughs) People, like, build this up so much, and they're like, ah, shark attacks. And I'm like, no, they're Mm -hmm. not that common. I mean, they happen, but, like, so do dog attacks. And, like, they live in the ocean. If you're going to go in the ocean, just be aware that you might encounter one. And if you do, just wait for it to pass you. Chances are it's just going to swim away and be like, I don't know what the heck that weird-looking fleshy thing was, but I don't want (laughs) to see it again. (laughs) Yeah, and any episode that we do where we talk about sharks, it always boils down to, like, you're a guest in their home. 
Yeah. Leave them alone. Just give them space. They don't want anything to do with you. It, and it can kind of swing in the opposite direction where it's like people can be either like so afraid of them that they will have these very negative feelings towards sharks where they think that they're like evil and need to be like preemptively eradicated or something like that. But then people can swing in the opposite direction where they're like, no, I'm so not afraid of sharks that I'm going to sit on their back. <laughs> Yeah, let's like, find I'll a... prove how much how much I love sharks by just like giving it a big old hug. Yeah, let's do a nice middle ground and be like, I love sharks and respect them enough to not touch them. I mean, I've seen videos of like there's this guy basically trying to give a nurse shark a kiss and like flipped it upside down and was like tonic immobility, which I don't know why we're doing that to sharks. Again, just leave them alone. Yeah. And it bit that. him on his face because he was putting his face near the face of a shark. <laughs> Shocked Pikachu face. I'm like <laughs> If you tried to kiss me without permission, chances are I'm going to bite you too. Like, don't, no. They, what was the lesson here? <laughs> oh my God. It's literally wildlife harassment. Like, don't touch wildlife. Like, leave them alone. Yeah. Admire them from afar. You're in their home. I hate when people are like, shark infested waters. I'm like, that's like saying a human infested city. And it makes absolutely no sense. That's literally, yeah. that's where they live. I don't know what, where else you want them to go. Like, I don't know. <laughs> And they were already here before any of us existed as mammals. So like. They've been here for hundreds of millions of years before we we even began to try to evolve. So let's not think that we're entitled to every single inch of this earth. Because other things live here too. Let's be nice neighbors and just let them have their space. <laughs> So when we're talking about evolution, I'm thinking back to the thing that you said about them whipping their tail around to like whip the prey. Is this to is it to stun them or is it to kill them? Like when they're whipping their tail around, like what is the purpose of that? Well, first I want to say you say whipping around, but it doesn't whip around. It whips on top. On top. So they stop and like basically bend their bodies forward and their tail comes over the top of them. Like a scorpion. Oh. Oh my gosh. How have I never put that together before? I lived in Arizona <laughs> for so long. And never in my life was I like, thresher sharks kind of look like scorpions. Wow. Well, that's cool. Um, <laughs> love that connection. Oh my gosh. You bring it my home. old home and my new home. Yeah, exactly. So the basically it's to get prey to stop moving, whether it kills the prey or it stuns the prey. As long as the prey is not moving, it gives the shark the chance to go through and eat it. And then, then it's dead. <laughs> and then it's nutrition. That's so interesting because I, when I think of like sharks hunting, I think of a shark just kind of like throwing their face at like whatever they're trying to eat. You know, they're just like going for it with the whole mouth. Yeah. Like you don't, you don't think of a shark as trying to like immobilize prey and then eat it. Like, I, are there other sharks that do something like that? Ooh, the saw shark. There's a saw fish, which is different than the saw shark. I feel like people are very surprised by this. I was too. Saw fish <laughs> are a species of ray. They're much larger than the saw shark. The saw shark is like five feet long. They're oh, not very a baby. big. I know. They're smaller than me. Um it's a little bitty. I know. Um, love them. They're so cute. <laughs> but they also have a saw on their face. And to my knowledge, they kind of do a similar thing to sawfish and just like thrash a little bit. And that's not necessarily to like chomp, bite you. Now you're immobilized. It's like a, I mean, to stun or kill it and mm -hmm. then be able to eat it. But also, the uh, hammerhead, the great hammerhead, eats stingrays, among other things. And what it'll do is it will basically use its, the head is called a cephalofoil. It'll use the cephalofoil to, like, turn to the side and pin the stingray to the bottom so then it can't move. 
and then it turns really fast and bites off one of its wings. So then it's completely immobilized, and then it, it can't swim away, and then it's it's done for. Easy meal. They get him with a one-two. You the one-two. On the, <laughs> the, the pin and twist, yeah. Oh, gosh. It, it's so interesting, like, how sharks can take this what starts as like a basic shark blueprint like you got like the base shark body plan and then just like tweak it in ways to get these really interesting little weapons out of yeah cool i love it i'm glad you were talking about like different ways that they're like using their almost like using their bodies as tools Mm -hmm. um because that's a good good segue into the next category that we rate animals on which is ingenuity so like behavioral adaptations uh, ways that the animal is solving problems that they encounter on like a daily basis or things that they're doing to kind of maybe like give them an edge. Maybe we might talk about like evasive strategies or hunting strategies or in some animals we'll sometimes talk about like tool use and stuff like that. So what would you give the thresher shark for ingenuity? I again have to give it well okay maybe I'll give it a nine and here's why because there are other sharks that have really big top lobes of lobes of their tails so like the zebra shark for example or i guess it's very confusing in some places it's called the zebra shark in some places it's called the leopard shark but then the leopard shark is the zebra shark in other places it's very confusing it's too much (laughs) so to make it easier maybe harder the latin name is stegostoma fasciatum in the u.s we know this as the zebra shark they have a similar kind of like tail to body ratio as the thresher shark it makes up a large like maybe half of their body length as well but they don't use it the way that threshers do so i'll give i'll i'll take a point away for you know like the fact that they're not the only shark that have big tails but giving them almost all the points back because they're using that tail as a hunting mechanism which is again just so bizarre and so (laughs) cool it hunts with its butt like i don't understand it doesn't matter how many times i say it out loud or in my head like it will never not be weird And I love it. And when I'm thinking about, you know, using something other than your face to, like, immobilize your prey before you catch it, that's got to be safer, right? Because, like, when you're just kind of throwing your mouth at stuff, you're leaving yourself open to a lot of possible problems in the face and mouth area. Yeah. So, like... (laughs) I mean, the great white, I'm sure we've all seen on Shark Week, they're like breaching out of the water, jumping out of the water. They jump out of the water and like if they're, when they get close enough to a a seal or whatever prey item they're going after, their eyes kind of like roll back mm. so as not to damage their eyes. However, that's going to then make it more difficult if the prey moves at the last second, like you're out of luck, dude. This And this mm. has happened before where like they roll their eyes back. And then they pull the bait out of the water and then the thing rams into the cage and then has to like find its way out of the cage because it can't swim backwards. And like, so it's, I think you have a really good point there where like the thresher shark doesn't necessarily have to worry about that. And also I think the prey items that it's going after maybe isn't quite as dangerous, like going to scratch the eyes as like, like a sea lion or something, but it doesn't necessarily have to worry about the prey item like retaliating in some way and like damaging its face. It's just its tail, which I mean is its main way of hunting. So if something were to happen to it, that's probably really bad, but worst case it could just then i don't know go find some dead things and swim up and chomp on it listen it's a big ocean you might come across a slow swimmer or something exactly yeah (laughs) but i think you have a really good point there where like you're kind of saving your face a little bit so it's i mean in a literal way saving face so that you're not (laughs) three for three (laughs) yeah We need a little counter that like dings every time. Every- <laughs> yeah, I'm proud of that one. Wow, that was good. That was good. Um, 
<laughs> but yeah, so I, I think that that's a really good point too. Make sure it doesn't damage the important part. The money maker. The money maker, exactly. <laughs> also, speaking of, if you haven't seen a picture of their face, they look terrified all the time. And it is so funny to me. Like, they look like it's 11.30 p.m. and they just realized that they have an assignment due at 11.59 that they haven't started yet. And they're like, oh God, no. They're like out at a party or something. They're like, I need to go home and do this assignment. Like they look terrified. It's so funny. Chronically nervous. Yes. really. They have resting scared face. <laughs> You mentioned that there's one, did you say it was called the big, large eye? The big, big eye. eye. Yeah. Big eye. The mental image it gives me is of like a shark with big old anime eyes. The biggest like kawaii anime eyes you've ever seen just on a shark. They do have some pretty big eyes. I mean, <laughs> makes sense. That's what they're named after. It, their eyes are bigger than the other two species. Um, I'm not exactly sure why. If I had to hypothesize, maybe they dive into water, like deeper water with less light. Again, this is just my hypothesis. I'm not sure. Um, but like bigger eyes are common in like the deep sea. Either bigger eyes or just no eyes. Um, <laughs> one or the other. <laughs> but big eyes are going to let in more light. So, I mean, that would be my guess, but I'm not 100% sure. I'd have to like look that up more. But yeah, they are. They do have very cute eyes. I think that they're very funny looking. Something about that I probably should have mentioned when we were talking about their perceptive abilities earlier. is something that you also hear a lot with sharks that is maybe a myth this might be a factor cap opportunity but this idea that like a shark can like smell a drop of blood from like miles away or whatever what is this all about yeah so they do have a really good sense of smell but the issue i have with that statement is that their noses work kind of like human noses where like you have to have a particle of something in your nose in order to smell it it's the same thing with sharks. So to say that they can smell a drop of blood in an Olympic-sized swimming pool or like five miles away or whatever, whatever the weird stat is, I don't think <laughs> is entirely accurate because they don't have the blood in their nose to know that it's there. There's, It's not like you were to like take an eyedropper and like drop uh, like a drop of blood in the water and they're like, that way, like that, that, it's not how that works. But like if there's a substantial amount of blood in the water and it travels a little bit and they can sense that without seeing that there's a cloud of blood over there, you know, but they also have uh, electroreceptors and it's called the ampullae of Lorenzini. It's like in their snout region. They look like little freckles. It's very cute. And <laughs> basically it's like these jelly filled sacks and they can detect electrical fields of prey items. So when there's a lot of like vibrations or a lot of movement going on, that's going to be something that attracts sharks, which is why some, like, if you're in the water, don't, like, thrash around. If someone says don't act like prey, it means, like, don't don't go splashing around and, like, freaking out or anything like that. That's why you should stay calm. But um, they can sense that on people, too, because, like, we can, like, the, we shock each other sometimes because we have small electrical pulses, like, when your muscles are firing and things like that. And if a shark doesn't know what that is, it's going to come up and be like, what is this? And then it's going to look at you and be like, that's not what I wanted. And then mm. it'll go away. But, yeah, so electroreception a literal sixth sense that's really cool they can't it see is. dead people but they can <laughs> sense electrical signals which is cool <laughs> it is really cool i would argue cooler yeah when you were saying that like the blood has to like reach their actual nose um like the actual blood has to be in contact with them it kind of reminded me of that scene in finding nemo 
with the sharks. Oh, where the blood yeah. wafts into the shark's nose, and mm-hmm. that's what kind of like triggers him. Is that accurate? Like, is that how that goes? Like, I, I guess, it, you know, obviously, like the frenzied, like, oh my gosh, now they suddenly like go completely feral. That's probably right. not it. <laughs> I guess it's more accurate than the whole like a drop of blood in an olympic size swimming pool because like he did get a whiff of the blood like he actually like had the blood go into his nose so that he could smell it and i was like yeah that makes sense their eyes don't go black the same way that bruce's eyes did but like mm-hmm. cartoon effect you know um I had to zhuzh it up a little bit exactly for the screen. also i know someone one of my old mentors was like a consultant on that movie to basically make sure that it was accurate that's so cool it was so coolest job ever (laughs) i know and then it's funny because i asked him i was like so bruce is a a male shark why doesn't he have claspers if you don't know claspers are reproductive organs that male sharks have and he was like we put claspers on the shark and then we looked at it and we're like this is horrifying take the claspers (laughs) off i hate this an executive aesthetic decision (laughs) yeah that's why bruce doesn't have any claspers if you were wondering (laughs) when you're making a cartoon you get to make decisions like that like nope this looks horrible take it out (laughs) i mean if you want to like really go into it there's so many more i mean like clownfish when the biggest female dies this the next biggest fish will become female and then mate with the rest of them so should should uh Nemo and Marlin have been father and son or would that have turned into something different in the wild? That's all I'm going to go into. But like, (laughs) again, cartoons, it's a family like movie. So you just you make executive decisions that may not be entirely accurate for the sake of the movie. And they're not like huge details typically. Mm -hmm. But yeah. And my hope is that at least it maybe got some kids interested, you know, enough to be like, oh man, I really thought that movie was super cute. Maybe I want to learn a little bit more about marine biology. Like I'm sure it sparked a whole generation of marine biologists. I'm for sure one of those kids. I absolutely loved that movie growing up. And my nephew watched it like on repeat for like three weeks straight. And I was like, you know what? I'll take it. As long as you stop watching The Good Dinosaur, I'll take this one. Because he, oh my gosh, I can't even explain to you how many times I've seen that movie. And none of it's accurate. There's a dinosaur and a human in the same. I can't. Finding Nemo's way more accurate. Watch that one. <laughs> I rewatched Finding Nemo recently because I was like a, a kid during the year that Finding Nemo came out. I would have been probably, I think, maybe seven years old. And so I was just right in the sweet spot of their target demographic age. Yeah. Um. So it was a big hit. And I remember for like a period of a couple of years where that was like all anyone my age talked about every single time you're at school like it's the last day of school and they're throwing a party for all the kids what's on finding nemo (laughs) the amount of times i've seen finding nemo in spanish because that's what we watched in our last day of spanish (laughs) class i've seen it so many times in spanish yeah when it i think i just googled it it came out in 2003 i think i was five i was going to be five i was four 2003 i would have been eight Yes. So I was like right in that sweet yeah. spot for their who exactly they were going for. It was me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love that. I'm glad that they did get that right, though, about like the, the blood actually going into their nose and not doing the whole thing of like, oh, yeah, you, you know, cut your knee three miles away from a shark. Oh, no, here it comes. Right. You know, Cause I think that's what 
a lot of media kind of propped up the expectation of like, oh, don't go swimming if you have like an open wound because the shark will smell it from the other side of the planet. Right. I'm like, uh, like maybe if you like just had your entire calf ripped off, like maybe you shouldn't be in the water anyway. But like if you cut your leg shaving, I think you're going to be fine. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be more worried about like infections from the ocean than like a shark coming from God knows where to come attack you. So I'd like to ask before we move out of ingenuity, if you have any cool stories from field work or, you know, just like working with sharks or anything, if you have any cool stories of a shark just like doing something that made you be like, wow, that's incredible. I can't believe they just did that. Like something, some sort of like wild behavior that you witnessed. Um, yeah. So actually... I was an intern at Odyssey Aquarium in Scottsdale, Arizona. If you haven't been and you have the chance to go, 10 out of 10 recommend. They have a huge <laughs> shark exhibit. They take such amazing care of their animals. I got to see all the behind the scenes when I was working there. Everyone's amazing. Fantastic facility. Anyway, I just have to give it a plug. It's so good. <laughs> um, yeah, so when I was there, I, I feel like people think that fish are dumb. Fish are not dumb. They're incredibly smart. You can train fish. Easily. I've done it. I At the aquarium, we had three guitar fish, which are a type of ray, and I trained them to eat from a target, which is the same way that they trained like the sea turtles and uh, some of the other rays and all of the other like large sharks that they have to eat from a target. So you don't have to chase them around and try and figure out who got how much food or whatever. So each species in the exhibit, we had nurse sharks, sandbar sharks, sand tiger sharks, and lemon sharks. Um, in this larger exhibit. Each species had a different shape of target. So for example, like the nurse sharks went to the white bow tie looking shape and it was always placed in the same part of the exhibit. So when you put that in the water, the shark sees that and they're trained to their own shape. So the nurse sharks would see the bow tie and be like, that means food, I'm going over there. And the other sharks would leave it alone because it's not their target, they weren't trained for it. And the way that it works is basically like you put it in the water when the shark you want comes up to it out of like curiosity or whatever if it gets within a certain distance of it you reward it with food and then slowly it starts to associate that with food and next time you know you put it in the water it's going to make a beeline like right for that target so i think that's one of the things that would just sharks fish in general that people are like no they're not that smart like they're just mindless eating machines like they're incredibly intelligent animals they know what they're doing and i think that that's something that people are always a little surprised to hear about but they you can train a shark i've seen it done i have participated in it and it's it's incredible to watch and also when i was training the guitar fish it was also just amazing and working with the other sharks as well just amazing to see how different their personalities are it's the same thing with like i don't want to say like a dog because i'm like ah, oh, they're water puppies don't touch them though <laughs> let's we've already gone over that but like it's the same kind of thing with like a dog like dogs of the same breed can have totally different personalities and with the guitar fish i'm like fender was a little they're all named after guitar brands fender gibson and kramer it's hilarious yeah That's so good yeah um <laughs> they also had cowfish that were named asiago and gouda like they had all kinds of fun names for the fish it was great oh man um, what a great job that must have been to come I up know. with those names yeah uh courtesy of kyle thanks kyle um <laughs> but yeah, so, I mean, Fender was a little shy at first, and once she realized what the target was, she was like, I know what that is, I'm going there, and Kramer was always kind of shy, and Gibson was like, I'll do whatever I want, like, very sassy, like, it's so clear that they have personalities, 
And I guess another quick example of that is one of the larger sharks that they had, a large, the largest shark they had actually, a big female lemon shark named Dot. She, (laughs) our first day at the aquarium, it was orientation day. We walked down to the shark exhibit to just kind of take a look at some things. This is where we feed them. This is blah, blah, blah. As we were coming down the ladder to stand on top of the shark exhibit, she whipped her tail and soaked all of us new interns and was like, welcome to the aquarium, rookies. Let's see how well you fit in here. And I was like, oh, you sassy girl. And she's she's just like the big boss man. Like that's just, uh, their personalities are so clear when you spend enough time with them. So I guess maybe that's my cool like ingenuity story about sharks. They're so smart. You got hazed by a shark. I sure did. I absolutely did. It was mostly Jason. I mean- <laughs> Kyle thought that we that someone fell into the exhibit and was like, "Oh my gosh, is everyone okay?" And then he turns around and just sees one of the other interns sitting there dripping wet, and he was like, "This is hilarious. Have fun with squishy shoes for the rest of the day." It was like nine in the morning. I was like, "I gotta be here till seven. I was like, "My shoes are already soaked." Yeah, thanks, Dot. Oh, uh, you were in the splash zone. I I was. I shouldn't have been standing there. I guess <laughs> it's on me. She caught me slipping. I love to hear about sharks having different personalities, though. You know, like, I I feel like that makes you relate to them a little better when you're like, okay, like, you know, each shark has their own particular little mannerisms and ways. Like, that's adorable to me. <laughs> yeah, it's. I think it's, it's very much, it's beneficial for people to know about that, I think, because then it kind of gives you a feel for the fact that they're, they're not just eating machines. They aren't mindless things that just swim around in search of anything to bite like they're intelligent animals with different I don't want to like personify them too much you know what I mean but like they Mm -hmm. have different personalities and preferences and things like they they know what they're doing they're intelligent animals and I think that kind of getting to know different individuals and like kind of looking at those personalities is like a, a really good way to kind of display that and get to understand that better Yeah, they're more than just a pretty face. They are so much more than just a pretty tail. (laughs) So to wrap things up for the Thresher Shark, final category is aesthetics, which is just cut and dry how nice they are to look at. What do you give the Thresher Shark for aesthetics? 11 out of 10. Fantastic tail, scared little face, little airplane (laughs) wings. Their pectoral fins are so cute. Like they're just, they're awesome. And they're, they're large animals. I am a sucker for charismatic megafauna as much as I don't want to say that I am, but I really am. (laughs) So again, it's all about like, you look at it and you're like, why do you look like that? Like that's, oh, they're gorgeous. I am obsessed. And again, like the way they swim, like with their tail, just looking like a ribbon behind them. Mm, I do love that. Yeah. There was a a video of one actually like two days ago on uh, a beach in Rhode Island. um, Mm. And it was like on the beach. It was probably chasing after some smaller fish or something. And you can just see its tail just like whipping around as it kind of starts to swim back into deeper water. And I'm like, ah, you're so, you're so pretty. I love (laughs) you so much. Ah. Is the thresher shark the one that I feel like I've seen pictures of like when they get accidentally like caught by fishers or something? Is this the one that has kind of a shine, like an iridescent sort of shine to it? Yeah, no, they do kind of have a little bit of like the light hits them right. They kind of shine a little bit, which is also love that. Right? (laughs) It's like a rainbowy effect. Yes. 
I feel like in, in you only ever see this effect like in pictures of them taken out of the water. So this is maybe not something that like you get to appreciate like all the time. But I've seen pictures. I'm sure the saturation was absolutely blown out to really like exaggerate the effect. Right. But it it's it is like a it's like a rainbow shine to the shark that's like really really cool. I love iridescence always. Yes. And to see it on a shark is just flawless. Yeah, it's like their faces are almost like kind of like a purplish mm-hmm. and like it just kind of fades into like a lighter blue a little <sighs> their their iridescence is gorgeous if you you the light hits them right you have the right exposure or whatever on your camera i'm sure some of the pictures are edited because some of them are like a little extreme but like <laughs> they're so pretty oh my gosh I think they get a pass for being like a little bit edited because like sharks need a W like as far yeah. as PR and like public perception of them. So it's like if you've got to kind of exaggerate the rainbow factor, I'll give that a pass. Like that's good with me because they, right. they, you can give them a little boost if you want. It's OK. <laughs> it's just like adding like a Snapchat filter, like a little exactly. beauty filter. It's fine. It's not it's you're not catfishing. You're just <laughs> it's like a little extra layer of makeup. And that's fine. It's I'm here for that. sharking. Cat sharking, shark, shark fishing. No, that's not what I want. <laughs> Would you say the Snapchat filter? I'm imagining a shark swimming around with like a flower crown and makeup on. Oh my gosh! Yeah, no, or like the little hearts on their cheeks or something. I love it. That's hilarious. I would love that. I would give them a total pass for that. I'd be like, you look cute though. <laughs> So I love these sharks. I'm so appreciative to you for coming on and talking to me about them today. Before we wrap up, I wanted to let you just kind of talk about the kind of work that you're doing right now that you want people to know about um, where you you mentioned at the top where people can find you on like Twitter and TikTok, stuff like that. I would love if you could talk about Miss a little bit. Yes, of course. So Miss stands for Minorities and Shark Sciences. This is an organization that me and three other Black women in the field of shark science co-founded in June of 2020. So we're just over a year old now. The other co-founders are Amani Weber-Schultz, Carly Jackson, and Jasmine Graham. If that name sounds familiar, Jasmine Graham has talked about sawfish with us. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um, They're all wonderful people. This organization was founded uh, basically to create opportunities and a community for women of color in the field of shark science. Because overall, it's a pretty white male dominated field. And sometimes, you know, being the only like woman of color in the room can feel a little alienating. So we wanted to make sure that we had a community of people that kind of all study similar things and are in the same field that we can, you know, collaborate with or connect with and just kind of create a community. And again, create opportunities that are always fully funded because I think that unpaid internships, I mean, there's financial barriers. Like not everyone can afford to do an unpaid internship. There's like, there's bills to pay. Um, Not everyone can go off for two weeks to some lab to do work if they have to help, you know, provide for their family. So we want to make sure that all of our opportunities are fully paid for from the time that you step out of your front door to this time that you step back into your front door after we are paying for that. And we're paying for that through donations. So if you want to check out our website, which I will let you know what it is, uh, please feel free to do so. But yeah, so we've now, as of like our one year anniversary, June 19th, 2021, we have now over 300 members in 24 different countries. So I know that there are shows out there that are not necessarily displaying uh, the diversity of scientists in the field and the excuse is typically, well, people of color just aren't interested. Clearly that's not true. We have 300 plus people of color, gender minorities that would tell you that you're wrong. Right. Y'all just didn't look. (laughs) Exactly. Clearly not looking hard enough. But we've also partnered with Nat Geo for 
Shark Fest for 2022, where basically we're giving them, you know, access to like our members that are comfortable being on camera and that might want to take advantage of some of these opportunities so that they can help display some of the diversity that is actually in the field of shark science, which we really appreciate because they reached out to us and they were like, we need to do better. Can we talk with you guys and have you guys help us out? And we were like, heck yeah, this is great. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, we've got so much going on. We've got workshops for our, our members. We have internships. We have, uh, we do webinars to, I guess, like prepare some of our younger members for grad school and professional work and things like that. Like an R coding workshop or a surviving grad school workshop or an applying for grants workshop, things like that. And we also have Gill Guardians. If you're interested in learning more about sharks, it is a program that's just shark related curriculum geared for eight different age groups. And you're welcome to check that out. That's also on our website. And our website is misselasmo.org. And on social media, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at miss underscore elasmo. Awesome. I've been following you guys since y'all started last year and I really enjoy seeing like pictures of y'all like doing like field work, like workshops and like going out with students and like, I don't know, it's it's really cool to see like because it, it almost feels like seeing like a, a glimpse into like what the work looks like and getting to see it like happening in front of you. It's so exciting. I love yeah, it. It's, it's so important. The barriers are such a, especially the financial barriers and also just like the inclusion barriers yeah. of like not being welcomed and not being accepted into like academic spaces and stuff. So like to overcome those hurdles, like that there are actual things being done to dismantle them. I'm like, yeah, I'm just very excited that it's happening. Yeah. Thank you. Oh my gosh. I'm just so excited to see how we continue and how we keep helping people. After only a year, I'm just like, we've done so many things and we've helped so many people and it feels so good. And I, I'm just so grateful to not only be a part of something like this, but to be able to help provide something like this for people, because this is something that of course I wished I had to like look up to when I was younger and it just wasn't really there. So we were like, screw it. We're going to create it. We'll do it. That's fine. And it just, it's so nice to be able to also just have contact with like all of these other women of color that study similar things because Jasmine was the only other black woman in this field that I knew about. And then I didn't even really know her that well. And then we all connected on Twitter and we're like, oh my gosh, there's actually so many of us. We should all connect and form an organization. So that's what we did. I love y'all. <laughs> y'all are such a dream team. Thank I'm so you. happy whenever y'all come up on my feet or something like that. I'm like, oh. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> we love you. <laughs> so thank you so much for all the all the work that you do, you know, the the work with Miss, but also the work doing scientific outreach and getting other people enthusiastic and interested in sharks and helping people learn and, and coming on and talking to me about sharks. This has been so fun. I'm a big fan. So big moment for me. <laughs> thank you so much. And thank you for like doing this podcast. This is an amazing form of science communication. I'm, I, this is real amazing work. Like it's hard work. And I'm, I just very much appreciate like the work that you do also for science communication and Aww. like awareness for different animals and getting people interested. So this is wonderful. And I am having so much fun. So thank you so much for having me today. <laughs> of course. Thank you so much. We will talk to you later. Awesome. Sounds great. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.